Welcome into Downtown the Podcast, episode number 75. Wow. That, by, that went by fast. Holy cow. Uh, Rich Kimball, Carrie Haskell with you from our Zone Radio studios in Bangor, Maine. It's where our daily show, Downtown, originates. Four to six Eastern time on the Zone Radio stations. And, of course, on our website, streaming audio at downtownwithrichkimball.com. We remind you the podcast is brought to you by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Got a couple of music legends on the program this week. Uh, we love talking to creative people, whether it's actors or authors or songwriters. And we've got two of the best coming up for you on this edition of the podcast, Roseanne Cash and Graham Nash, two people who have carved out incredibly successful careers, but also careers uh, where they've been able to do their own thing and had their hit-making period, and then a perhaps even more productive period where they made the music they wanted to make uh, without concern for things like chart success or even record sales. Not that they don't want those things, but have achieved a level of success where they can pretty much do what they want to do musically. Roseanne Cash has been touring for a number of months in support of her most recent album, She Remembers Everything. Now, that tour is back in the United States, comes here to Maine on October 26th, and she'll be all around the Northeast in that period as well. Here's our conversation with Roseanne Cash talking about the She Remembers Everything tour and a little bit more. Hi, Rich. Always a pleasure to speak with you. Great to have you back with us. So you were uh, you were overseas doing some touring, I have to ask. Uh, did the people you met there understand that, that what they see on social media and on TV doesn't represent all of us here? Do they feel sorry for us? <laughs> I think they do understand. I've actually had people in different countries say, don't worry, we have people like this as well. <laughs> <laughs> and we're sticking with you. Ah, well, you we know, appreciate that. Temporary. Yeah, we sure hope so. Anyway, uh, before I want to talk a little more about the the album. We chatted with you about it last time, but it uh, would be remiss to not mention uh, the wonderful Ken Burns documentary on, on country music. And we chatted with you a little bit about that. God, that was that was such a remarkable series, and uh, it's it's done wonders for catalog sales of artists. But w what mm -hmm. it did to tell the story of country music was so powerful. Well, I thought they did a magnificent job. Uh, you know, I was a little suspicious at first before they started filming. Um, they contacted uh, me and several other musicians um, just to get going. And But they started asking the right questions, you know, what songs are important, what artists should we speak to. And then I was so bowled over by what they ended up doing because they connected all of the dots of country music from Appalachian ballads to Western swing to, you know, early folk music to the Bakersfield sound was really remarkable and done with such respect. What was it about them and I guess the people putting the project together and conducting the interviews that made you feel safe enough to, to be so open and honest about your relationship with your father? Well, I did trust them. You know, I got to know them um particularly the writer, the head writer, uh, Dayton Duncan. And we had many conversations. And, I, of course, I understood going in that I'm going to be talking about my dad a lot. You know, he was central to the whole story. And um, the series basically ends in the mid-'90s, except for jumping forward to my dad's death. So 
I, you know, I knew it was more skewed towards um, legacy artists. And I was happy. I was proud to go in and talk about my family and about my dad. Well, I was a blubbering mess for most of the series, and, and a lot of it is because of you. <laughs> uh, you you singing The Winding Stream, the last song you sang for your dad, your your version of I Still Miss Someone at the memorial. And the other part of that really blew me away, and I remember seeing it as a kid when it was on TV, but for some reason I was so impacted by the video of your dad and Bob Dylan singing Girl from the North Country. Isn't, wasn't that something? It was um, it, it kind of it was revolutionary that moment on television. You know, I, I said even my own husband, three thousand miles away, who I didn't even know yet, was utterly changed by that performance. And my dad later said, I was talking to him about it. He later said, you know, I didn't realize how important it was at the time. I just sat there strumming D chords. Well, it was incredibly powerful. I, I watched it. Yeah. I got to see an early version, and then I sat there every night and, and, and watched it again live. We're talking with Roseanne Cash here on Downtown. I, I want to talk uh, more about the album with you. We chatted last time about some of the songs on She Remembers Everything, which has been out almost a year, but still in heavy rotation on all my devices. And and I, oh, I, I, I keep going back to it because there, there's so much truth uh, in this album. I, I wanted to ask if it if it's easier for you to explore some of those truths now than it was when you were first writing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's developmental. I think it's part of aging. I don't think it's unique to me. You know, uh, I think that a lot of people get more comfortable and feel like they're sick of hedging their bets about how they are in the world and how they're perceived. You really let go of that, like hearing what... uh, perception is of you and you know there's an urgency in realizing that you're on the downslope of your life and that your regrets are going to be what you didn't say you know the truth you didn't tell I I always remember this thing I read when I was young in my 20s um, this woman philosopher Carolyn Hubbard she said women need to live their stories out loud just to start to balance their millennia of male stories. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with the story. <laughs> but, I, you know, I do keep that in mind. Yeah, it's powerful. It's important. Not Many Miles to Go uh, addresses the passing of time pretty directly, and that's that's certainly a theme of the album. I came to parenthood pretty late in the game, and I have to tell you that being being in your 60s with a five-year-old is a daily reminder of the march of time. But I, I find that I feel better equipped now to slow things down a bit. Are, are you able to live in the moment more now than when you were younger? Sure. I mean, I'm not consumed by ambition like I was when I was younger and also, you know, feeling like I have to be everywhere at once and that I'm missing something and that, uh, you know, it's a different kind of urgency you have when you're young to figure out who you are and where you belong and what you can accomplish. And now... You know, sitting and having a cup of tea with one of my kids is the whole world and a Mm. cup of tea. It's perfect. How did you end up working on the album with Tucker Martine? I was a huge fan of Tucker. Uh, I love The Decemberist and um, a lot of other work he's done. And then I ended up hearing that Case Lang Beers record with uh, Mm. 
Nico Case, uh, Laura Veers, and Katie Lang. And it just stunned me. And I thought, I so want to work with this guy. And I just had no idea whether he would want to work with me. And I called him up very shyly and said, Do you, would you be interested in trying a couple things? And he said, yes. And I loved working with him. It's very different from working with John, you know, my my husband and partner. Um, they have very different working styles, both amazing guys, and I learned a lot. And was that the connection that, that got Colin Malloy to record a couple of songs with you on the album? Yeah. <laughs> like I said, I'm a huge December fan, so I said to Tucker, do you think Colin would sing on a song? And then... Colin said yes, and once we got him in, we got had him sing on another song. <laughs> um, we kind of tricked him, but uh, I just you know it was a great experience. Yeah, I love that song, Rabbit Hole, a night of peace, blessed relief. We could all use somebody to pull us out of that rabbit hole these days. Oh, no kidding, right? Uh, one of the songs that that continues to just take my breath away on the album is, is Everyone But Me, and uh, when we saw you perform it down in Portland. You were pretty visibly moved. Does does your reaction in that moment depend on the audience, or, or is it because you're going to the place you were when you performed that song? Are you going to where you were when you wrote it? You know, you can never predict, because that's the beauty of uh, live theater and, you know, music being made in the moment, is that it has its own power to move you and to come through you and, Every audience is different, and every chemical reaction between a performer and audience is different. And sometimes something happens that just it's beyond explanation. It's transcendent. You know, maybe I was thinking about my parents in that moment and thinking about what the song meant to me, or I don't know. Maybe someone in the audience sent me something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it was, but sometimes that song moves me a lot. Sometimes when the master calls the roll from the river and thread oh, also yeah. moves me to the point of tears. I also loved your live version of uh, Bobby Gentry's classic Ode to Billy Joe. Oh, thanks. I've been doing that song for several years now. Uh, it's uh, kind of a, it's a perfect song about the Delta and it unfolds like a series of black and white photographs. It's, there's something incredibly powerful about that song. And about Bobby Gentry, you know, the fact that she just one day disappeared, just decided, I'm not going to be in the music business anymore. I don't like it. I'm done. And you can't find her. We're talking with Roseanne Cash here on downtown. I, I know Linda Ronstadt was a big influence uh, for you, uh, not only her music, but she played a pretty significant role in a dream. Can you talk about that a little bit? Wow, you've gone deep into your research, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this happened 30 years ago, maybe. I had this dream that I was sitting with Linda and this old man at a party. And Linda and the old man were speaking to each other very animatedly and they had their back turned to me, and I tried to enter the conversation. And the, the man turned to me, and he said, his name was Art. That's what I knew in the <laughs> dream. His name was Art. And he said, I know, how obvious is that? <laughs> and he said, we don't respect dilettantes. And then he turned away. 
And I woke up chilled to the bone. It shook me. And I kind of changed everything how, about how I worked from that point on. I it, devoted myself. I focused myself as a writer. Um, I pushed myself harder. Have you seen the uh, Linda Ronstadt documentary? I have. I loved it. I loved it. It brought me to tears. I love Linda. You know, I Linda came to a show of mine right before she announced that uh, she had Parkinson's. She came to a show I was doing in San Francisco, and she came backstage before the show, and I said, Linda, do you want to get up and sing something with me? And she just said, no, I don't do that anymore. And it was very final. And I was shocked, and later on I thought, how can she do that to the world? You know, one of the greatest singers of this century, and she's just going to stop? And then, of course, the announcement came, I think, a few months later, and I just felt so terrible. It was devastating. I can't imagine that anybody could handle that situation with any more grace than she has. Yeah, I agree. I agree. She was, her equanimity about it was really something else. I don't know that I would be that courageous. She, uh, of course, came into the national spotlight and achieved great success by herself out there as a woman with a band made up of men and in a music industry dominated by men. You you did a similar thing. Was it was it every bit as stressful and challenging in the world of country music, which had its own share of patriarchy along the way? Yeah, it was. And it still is for some women, you know. I mean, I'm older and there's a lot of crap I don't have to deal with anymore. But, you know, I'm still out there with 99% men all the time. But like I said, we're older. It's like a lot of the nonsense doesn't happen anymore. But it was hard. It, the sexism was just rampant. It was just threaded through the entire industry. And the condescension and the, you know, um, paper play is what was expected. And I just kind of kept my head down and showed up for work. I just ignored a lot of stuff I let roll off me that in today's era, I wouldn't let roll off me. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, just ignore it and you keep going. I mean, there were some scary moments, too, I have to say. But um, I'm glad this has all surfaced. And oddly, the music industry, it's one of the last places it's surfacing. It's, you know, film and the corporate world. Um, because I think, I mean, I, I'll be brief about this, but I think it's because Bad behavior in men, and particularly in rock stars, is kind of glorified. Right. And so it's turned into a marketing tool. You know, they sell this. And it's just so destructive. It's bad for the people around you. You don't have to destroy to be great. I, I read a, a really powerful quotation the other day from Liz Fair, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it, but she was talking about the fact that there were people who thought, uh, going back to Exile in Guyville, that thought because she wrote songs that were pretty explicit about her own experiences and sexuality, that that was somehow an invitation 
to people out there. And she said, what they don't realize is by the time I recorded that album, you know, I'd already been a victim many times for, for 15 or 20 mm. years, even then. Mm. Yeah, that's typical too, is that if you write about female experience and it's intimate in any way that you get packed as, you know, you're open to anything. It's not true. We have inner lives. <laughs> I love this statement. Uh, you wrote in your book that uh, you've written yourself postcards from the future. Is that still happening with you? Yeah, I think so. Um, um, you know, I'm not the first writer or artist to notice that creativity happens outside of linear time and that um, you can run into the past and future when you're working and I think it still does but it doesn't scare me once in a while it used to scare me like oh I, I, I don't want to know that I don't want to go towards that I, you know I'm an eternal optimist Rich so even if something's very dark um, that comes out of my writing um, I just think it's, it's going to be easy to metabolize <laughs> Well, we're in some relatively dark times right now here in America, and you've said in the yeah. past that uh, art is the lifeline that you, you cling to uh, in a confusing, unfair, and sometimes dehumanizing world. I, I feel like we need that art, we need that truth and beauty more than ever these days. Well, you know, when truth is up for sale and when uh, it's co-opted and distorted and um, used for an agenda that's evil you know that there there are places you can still go for truth and art and music it's like rodney crowell said even if it's a lie it's still the truth. <laughs> and if it's in a song you know even if you totally made it up it's still the truth and it heals us i know that sounds new agey but it does that's what the part of the function of art and music is to be service industries for our hearts and souls. Uh, before you come here to Maine, I see you're going back to your dad's roots for some performances back in Arkansas. Yeah, so I've been involved with uh, Arkansas State University for a decade now in um, restoring his boyhood home in Dias, Arkansas. And we have a concert every year. And for the last three years, this will be the third year that we've actually held the concert on the grounds of the house in the cotton field or what was the cotton field. And it's really special. And, you know, the family goes this year, Marty Stewart and I are performing along with other family members. And it's very down home and sweet. You know, it's, it's great. I love it. Well, have a wonderful time there. We look forward to seeing you on stage on the 26th of October at the Collins center for the arts at the university of Maine, Roseanne cash, Always a delight to talk with you. Thanks so much for making time for us. Thank you. I can't wait to bring the band up there, and it's a delight to speak with you again, Rich, too. Thank you. Roseanne Cash talking with us here on Downtown, the podcast. I have to tell you, Carrie, I think of we've had so many great guests through the years. She's got to be right there in my top two or three because she's so she's so thoughtful. You can tell that she you know, she's listening, she's thinking about the questions, and that seems obvious, but there are people who just will sometimes give you the automatic response, and you never get that from Roseanne. No, every question.
question that she answers is there, there's thought behind it. There's she has an opinion and she's willing to share it, which is uh, sometimes a bit of a rarity. And, and mm. you know, they don't want to risk offending one side or the other. And, you know, as, as a performer, sometimes you want to have the be sure you maintain the widest audience possible. Mm. But in her case, she she is willing to put her views out there and know that her music will overcome anything else. And both of our guests this week, I think, have been pretty good at letting things go like that and focusing on saying what they want to say. Roseanne Cash, her latest album, She Remembers Everything. And, of course, the great work on Ken Burns' documentary series on country music. Well, another outspoken performer when we come back. Two-time Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee Graham Nash is next after this word from Cross Insurance. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. I'll light the fire. You place the flowers in the vase that you bought today. Our next guest on the podcast is a two-time inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for his work as a founding member of the Hollies and with Crosby, Stills, and Nash. He wrote that song about his relationship with Joni Mitchell. That's a version he did on his 2018 album, Over the Years. We had a chance to talk recently with singer-songwriter Graham Nash. Rich, how are you doing? I'm wonderful, thank you. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Music is so powerful. It affects everybody in, in different ways. When you're performing, especially with some of the older songs, are, are you more in your own space or are you responding to what the audience is experiencing? Both. I have to, uh, I have to respond to what could, you know, I'm in control of the music for the night. You know, I have to make sure that uh, the people that paid their hard-earned money to come and see me uh, get value for their money. Uh, I want to see them smiling on the way out of the show so I know I've done my job. I need to communicate. I need to bring a certain sense of, well, kind of peace in a way. You know, uh, it, it's a little crazy out there in the world, as we know. You know, the rise of the right wing and the Trump administration, etc. Um, and and for two or three hours uh, at my show, you know, they'll be able to, to you know, examine their memories about all the songs that they love and then respond to, to new stuff. Um, it, it, it's going very well. I could not be happier. Now, for us, uh, when we hear a song like Our House, for instance, it's such a romantic song. That chronicles a time in your life. Do you still view that song? and you experience it the same way uh, you did when you wrote it, or has that changed over time? No, I have to do the same thing. I have to believe in, in, in the songs that I wrote. And introducing myself uh, to, to all the songs that I wrote, you know, 50 years ago and seeing how incredibly relevant they are today. I mean, is military madness not relevant today? Is immigration man not relevant today? Is the fact that we think we can change the world with music and, and peace and love, that's still here. 
I, I wanted to ask you about that. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because some of the messages that you and other performers, other artists were, were sending out 50 years ago, well, we thought the generation like mine that grew up in the 60s, we thought everything was understood. How do we get to this place in America and, and in the world where it seems we've, we've gone in reverse? We don't seem to have learned from history. You know, we, we have to look back at the past. We have to look back at the, uh, the other administrations. We have to look back at the other forms of government throughout the world. I've been very disturbed, uh, you know, in this last two or three years and going around the world, you know, as a solo artist, you know, to see the rise of the right wing in many countries is very disturbing. You know, and uh, the, the Trump administration are not, uh, not doing us a favor here in terms of how, how the rest of the world is viewing the, the United States right now. And where does that, that rise of nationalism come from? The, the fear of the other, uh, the way the world is handling, in many cases, immigration, is that based in ignorance? Is it fear? What is it, do you think, that drives that? It's all of that. It's ignorance and fear. This Trump administration has been using fear and lies to control the population. Uh, they are setting uh, America on a certain road, a certain path. But in my in my you know view, uh, th- those roads lead backwards. They are undoing a tremendous amount of good work that was done by ne- many many people over the last fifty years, particularly in the area of the of the environment. You've been an American citizen for, I think, more than four decades now. Why was it important for you to become an American? I wanted to be a part of this country. I loved America since the first time I set foot in it, in, in Easter of 1965. I uh, wanted to live here. I did not want to be on the outside throwing you know, musical hand grenades into the government. <laughs> I wanted to be able to criticize the government. I wanted to be able to praise it when it was right. I wanted to uh, adore the people and the countryside of this country. Um, and I'm very proud to have been an American citizen for almost four decades. I wanted to vote. I wanted to raise my voice. I wanted to be a part of this country. We're talking with Graham Nash here on Downtown, and you've talked about the fact before that uh, you always have communicated uh, with, with bandmates, with friends, with lovers. You've communicated through songs, uh, through your music, and uh, I am a big fan of the solo album you did a few years ago, This Path Tonight. Was that also for you a way of processing the changes that were going on in your own life? Absolutely. I was in a, in a bad way there. I was incredibly depressed. I realized that uh, I was no longer in love with the woman that I'd been married to for 38 years, and so we divorced. Uh, and, and my life was, was crazy, and my album, uh, This Path Tonight, uh, were, the, were the songs of what was going on with me at that time. You know, it had been a long time, uh, about 14 years since I'd put out a solo record. Of course, in that 14 years, I was incredibly busy. I did, I think, maybe 16 CDs in, in those 14 years. I did Crosby's box set, mm. Stevens box set, and my box set, and CSNY box set, and CSN demos and greatest hits, all, all kinds of stuff. I was a busy boy, but uh, I sure am enjoying uh, playing music for people today. 
I also love that uh, collection he put together over the years. And, and for music lovers, that was such a rare gift to be able to see uh, the transition uh, that songs made from their origins to the finished product. Yeah, people are fascinated with songwriting. People that love music but don't write it are kind of mystified by what songwriting is. Where do where, where songs come from? I mean, you know, we only have basically 12 notes in the Western uh, scale, a musical scale. And yet look at all the brilliant songs that have been written with 12 songs and 12 notes. Astonishing. I know recently you've been doing a lot of the music from Songs for Beginners in concert. Will we see some of those songs on this tour? I think you will, yes. I've written a lot of songs in my life, and I'm really enjoying reintroducing myself to those old songs. Speaking of the old songs, and I, this seems crazy to say for a band that's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but I, I maintain the Hollies are still underrated when you look at the, the quality of the music that you produced back in the 60s. Yes, you know, when I first uh, joined David and Stephen, I didn't talk much about the Hollies, of course. David didn't talk about the birds, and Stephen didn't talk about the Buffalo Springfield. Um, but yes, I, recently I, I, I've been falling back in, into not love, but certain respect for what the Hollies did. We were a good pop band, uh, we, we we're able to make people, you know, think a little about lovely melodies and nice pop songs. Uh, the Hollies were a good band. I was very proud to have been in. Uh, we recently celebrated the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, and, and you guys were such a, a big part of that. What's the lesson 50 years later from Woodstock, and, and can we ever have a moment like that again? I don't believe you can, and because you cannot recreate the actual times in which... Uh, the original Woodstock uh, took place. Um, I, I don't. I don't believe that you could. Uh, you can recreate those times, and therefore, you know, Woodstock. You know, the hundredth anniversary is only going to be just, you know, <laughs> you know, a, 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 a pale reproduction of what the original concert was. Um, we were very, very proud to to be there, of course. Uh, my girlfriend, Joni, at the time, uh, wrote the song Woodstock, of course, and uh, she hadn't even been there. She was supposed to, but she had to stay in, in, in Manhattan, in New York, to uh, be able to do the uh, Dick Cabot show, which was a very big television show and mm. the first television show uh, in America. Um, and so, you know, our managers, David Geffen and Elliot Roberts, decided that Joni shouldn't go because she might not be able to get out of there in time. But she still managed to brilliantly write the song. Along with your music, you're also an accomplished photographer, and, and that's an interest and a passion that you got from your father, right? Yes, he turned me on to the magic of photography when I was 10 years old, and I've never been the same since. I've been a photographer longer than I've been a musician. I want to talk about your father because it's it's a personal topic for me as well. My mom died when she was just 33. I've talked to Jimmy Webb about this, too. He lost his mom at a young age. Uh, your father was only 46, I believe, when he passed yeah. away. Uh, did you have a similar experience? I know I had this, and then Jimmy talked about it, too, that the day I turned 34, which was what my mom didn't reach, I thought, well, this is gravy. This is bonus time. That's exactly how I felt when uh, when my father, when I was approaching my 46th birthday. You know, because you wonder whether you're going to drop dead like your father did. Right, right. 
Um, but uh, I made it past it, and uh, I've been, in a way, in a strange way, I've been living two lives, one for me, one for my father. Well, your music continues to inspire people through the years, and, and I, we seem to be in a different musical time today. That Not that it wasn't always commercial, but I, I don't see the same sense of responsibility among songwriters and artists today that we saw a generation ago. Is that the responsibility of an artist to speak out when they see injustice? I think every human being needs to speak out when they see injustice. It's not just musicians. We're human beings, don't forget. First of all, we're human beings. We go through changes like everybody else. We react to the news, same as everybody else. We have to do something different with our time. Personally, I internalize all the stuff that I've learned, and I, uh, I raise my voice and I speak my mind, and I'm very glad to, be, to live in a country that allowed me to do that. Where do we go from here, Graham? How do we come out of this situation that we're in in America and in, in many places in the world? How do we as a people, uh, frankly, get past the failure of leadership that we have? I think people have to realize that together they have a tremendous amount of power. And don't tell me that you can't change the world with a simple action. Look at what Greta Thunberg is doing. Mm. Look at what that young 16-year-old Swedish girl is doing to this world, chasing the adults with their failures, demanding action. I have tremendous support and, and respect for, uh, for, for this young woman. Um, and also, you know, I, I love the, uh, the energy of the Parkland uh, school shooting survivors. Absolutely. You know, they're going around the country registering people to vote. They're, they're encouraging people to not vote for politicians and take money from the NRA or the gun lobby. I think we, these kids are teaching uh, their parents uh, <laughs> how to live. <laughs> that is Graham Nash here on Downtown, the podcast. Wonderful conversation with him and Roseanne Cash as well. Our thanks to both of them. Thanks to you for joining us. We remind you the podcast is brought to you by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. We'll see you next time here on Downtown.